Welcome to episode number three of the 5S Podcast. If you remember last week on the podcast, I shared with you my testimony of salvation and how God mercifully saved me from my sin. And within that testimony, I spoke a little bit about a man named Frank Mullis. And I am honored today to have Frank Mullis here with me. Good to have you, Frank. Hey, good to be here. So, Frank, I told everyone on the last episode a little bit about you, uh, that you own the uh, Martial Arts Academy here in Millersville, Georgia. But tell us a little bit more about you, who you are, a little bit more in depth about how we met. Um, well, uh, my name is Frank Mullis. I'm a pastor at Devereux Baptist Church. Uh, I do uh, own uh, Millersville Academy of Mixed Martial Arts with my partner, Tony Quagliata. Uh, we just uh, reopened and rebranded ourselves back in April of last year. So we've been open a little over a year at our new location. And so I guess um, you and I met through my martial arts class I was teaching for Georgia College. Uh, I don't even remember the year now. It's got to be close to, what, eight, nine years ago? Um, I, Whenever I did the uh, episode last week, um, I was saying 2009 is when I met you, but I don't think the Academy actually opened up until 2010. Um, no, we were open in 2007. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So that that's my mistake then. So the academy hadn't been uh, open too long before I come in. So I think it was right around 2009 through that program. Yeah, because I was at the. Were you, did you take classes at the college or at the? Uh, um, I took academy? one of the classes from the college, and then from the college, I just went on ahead and come straight into the academy. Yeah, so it could have been about 2000. We've been open since um, August of 2007. So uh, a little bit about uh, my background. Um, I have a uh, Master of Divinity in Counseling from uh, Southeastern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. I have an MTS degree where I emphasized uh, world religion and historical theology. And I'm currently uh, getting ready to finish up my last class and start my dissertation and my, the doctoral counseling program at Mid-America Midwestern, Mid America, Mid Midwestern. Actually, it's uh, they've gone through several name changes now. Uh, they're they're actually Spurgeon College. Yeah, it was Midwestern uh, College. Midwestern College, and so now uh, be Spurgeon College. I'm going to graduate under uh, Midwestern uh, College, uh, which is connected to Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, matter of fact, the program they've ended the program and they're switching over to a um, doctorate of biblical. Uh, biblical counseling now. So uh, I'll be one of the last graduates out of the uh, doctor of professional counseling program. So whenever you, uh, whenever you went to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in North Carolina, you were actually there with someone that's become kind of a little bit of a, of, of a mega pastor that's very well respected in the reform circle in, uh, Vody Bauckham, right? Yeah. Vody was there one of the, uh, one of the years. I can't, I can't remember. He was one of the, <laughs> the sad part, he's one of the only black guys on campus. So, so, uh, everybody. You can't uh, miss him. Yeah. yeah he's a, he's a, he was a big guy, but, uh, Vody was there. You know, I was in the class, uh, JD Greer, who's the, uh, current president of the convention. He was in uh, a few of my classes. So I knew JD and, uh, several of my other friends have gone on to, uh, Thomas White. He's, uh, at, uh, Cedarville, Un president of Cedarville University. Uh, James Hilton, he's uh, got a large church uh, down in Orange, Florida, uh, just good friends of mine. Uh, Thomas Price, he went on to graduate from Oxford. He's teaching uh, college up in uh, Connecticut. So a lot of uh, good friends of mine from those days are there. Counseling-wise, when I first went to uh, Southeastern, Dr. Patterson was there, and he was in the process of changing that program over to a biblical counseling program. When I was there, it was more of a blended program, Christian psychology right. And so early on, I had uh, Dr. Porowski and a few others 
who were, um, who was a psychologist, secular psychologist, and, and to a degree, he was a psychologist who was teaching there. Christian guy, I mean, a good man. Um, and then they brought in Dr. Porowski. Uh, from Dr. Porowski, they brought in Dr. Frank Cotton-Zero, who had been a, uh, been a secular counselor and got saved and um, started transferring into biblical counseling. It was Newthetic counseling at that time. And a lot of people have moved away from the term Newthetic because of different issues with it, uh, but more biblical counseling, what, it, what it's called now. I think a few guys use that. Jay Adams is the, the big guy that was uh, there. Jay Adams being reformed, uh, there were some, uh, a lot of the quote-unquote Arminians uh, had issues with his Calvinism and as part of that. But biblical counseling has um, has come up uh, just being the antithesis of quote-unquote Christian um, psychology or Christian counseling. And so somewhere in between there uh, is where I am now. <laughs> yeah, so um, how long have you been actually in pastoral ministry now? Um, you started out in youth ministry, right? Yeah, I started in youth ministry. Uh, I graduated high school and went into as a, you know, basically a youth minister, quote-unquote youth intern at a, at a very small church. Just a pastor brought me in to help teach me, Dr. Daryl Harbin. He was my pastoral counselor, still is. And he, um, you know, he, he brought me in and taught me a lot about the ministry. Um, I was there as youth minister. I went on to, uh, from Hainville Baptist to another church here in Milledgeville, Georgia. Hardwick Baptist is their uh, summer youth minister. And then the Tunnel Baptist uh, right before I got married. Uh, and then my wife and I, Rosalind, we moved up to Southeastern. We were in Southeastern about eight years, and I served at Northside Baptist. Uh, left there because I realized that youth ministry is just not where I thought of. Really, that's why I was planned on doing youth ministry and counseling. And then I just, just I guess, kind of burned out on youth ministry and went on into uh, the pastorate. My first church, I started pastoring. Wow, somewhere 2000, maybe, you know, maybe 99, 2000 around in there, Reed Creek Baptist in North Carolina. I was there six years and then been at Devereux almost 15 years. Yeah, and we've been there with you for four now. Um, so I, I guess with the youth ministry, you've got uh, all that you can handle with four girls now. So you really yeah, didn't have to really, go that well, route. That's, that's why I have you. You, uh, <laughs> you and your wife help us out a great deal. All right. So um, so last week on the episode that I did, I touched on uh, the topic of suicide a little bit on depression. Uh, now, Frank, you're actually affiliated with another ministry, Striving for Eternity Ministries with Andrew Rappaport. Um, and this coming up March, uh, mid-March, if I'm not mistaken, you guys are doing a conference in New Jersey on suffering. Yes, uh, it will be myself, Justin Peters. I'm just honored to be anywhere in the vicinity of Justin Peters. Yeah. He's one of the... Uh, Radiates. Yeah, he's one of my favorite people in the world uh, that I've met through uh, Andrew. And uh, he is going to be speaking on uh, suffering, as well as Colleen Sharp, who is uh, on the network with the Theology Gals. Uh, also, Andrew's pastor of his church will be uh, speaking as well, and then uh, myself. And so we, we've kind of kind of jokingly called it SufferCon. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That'll so, stick. <laughs> it'll stick. Uh, so, you know, we've gone back and forth and the idea of how do you gain sanctification through suffering? Right. You know, there's so much um, that the Bible talks about suffering so much. And, you know, of course, we, we like to look at Job uh, as, as one of the main figures of suffering. But uh, David just talks about suffering so much in the Psalms. Right. 
uh, and deals with that. And I'll, I'll be preaching from Psalms. One of my sermons I'm going to deal with uh, on, on depression uh, and suffering through de- depression and how the Bible speaks of it and how we can work through it through the Bible. And then my uh, second talk, uh, I'm going to be dealing with suffering, uh, almost a lecture on on dealing with suffering, uh, basically how to deal with unknown suffering uh, when we don't really understand why we're suffering Right. And uh, to, to that degree. And, you know, Job talks about uh, Job doesn't understand what's going on at all. And he, he begins to question God. And and, and uh, so we're going to deal with how to deal with suffering that's kind of unknown. Right. And I think whenever you talk about suffering, kind of that unknown is uh, is, you know, kind of that spiritual warfare aspect kind of gets brushed under the mat a good bit. I know, I know, you know brothers that we have that we talk to quite frequently is uh, really seems to be a matter of that spiritual warfare, you know, among other things, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that are at the root of root of how uh, people suffer. So biblically, I think that the, I, I don't really want to use the word expectation, but it seems to be a common theme in scripture that Christians should expect to suffer to some extent. Um, actually, if you look in the book of Acts, um, you actually see the apostles rejoicing because they were deemed worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Right. And, and Jesus said, we'll suffer persecution, uh, rejoice when we're, we're suffering. You know, Paul, you know, it was interesting. Paul was suffering, but there, there's that verse where Paul says, I prayed for the relief right. uh, from my suffering. And, and the Lord, I believe it was three times to remove the thorn right. of, of suffering and and, it was and he also removed. prayed for the prosperity of others yeah. as well. I know you're a big prosperity I, guy. That's yeah, why you brought that up. I'm a big prosperity guy. So, <laughs> but what, what level of, and I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit, that in the realm of suffering, it seems that Christ, uh, Americanized Christianity really hasn't experienced suffering on the level that uh, that other Christians in other areas of the world experience. So what is the level of suffering that Christians should expect to experience? Well, one of the, one of the topics that I thought about uh, doing it is um, uh, suffering through persecution. Mm-hmm. And Andrew and I talked about it. I talked with a couple of other friends of ours and, and I, I don't think that the main message of our, um, of the conference is uh, really dealing with suffering from persecution and and to be honest, I, I, we in America, I think we uh, we think we suffer, you know, right. as Christians from persecution because somebody said something about us on Facebook, or a baker gets sued, yeah, or a baker gets sued um, and loses some money, or maybe loses his livelihood. Yeah, that's terrible. But he has recourse in the in the in the in the courts, right? You know, a Chinese pastor uh, who's being yanked out of his house in the middle of the night and being tortured, uh, he has no recourse right. at all, other than to the uh, cake. <laughs> Um, and, you know, these pastors in, uh, in Muslim countries and, and others who, who suffer and, and risk death and who have died or even the, our missionaries in the past who have gone to, uh, to foreign lands and, and been beheaded and had their children killed in front of them. Right. You know, th- those, th- that's what we're talking about in true suffering. I, I don't think in America, um, we, we really truly experience what it's like to, uh, suffer true persecution. And so that's why I decided to move away from that. And, and matter of fact, I was going to mockingly, uh, discuss that and show that, you know, what you think of suffering, uh, through persecution in American, uh, Christianity, uh, is just, uh, is doesn't just, hold a candle. Do, doesn't hold a candle. So what I did is I, I, 
I went uh, went back to it, um, and I've decided, you know, with my with my next topic is is uh, dealing with with unknown suffering uh, on one one extent. So we we deal with suffering because we don't know who we are in Christ. Right. Uh, so a lot of times we we are suffering because we ourselves look inwardly at ourselves and and see that we we are we're we're being condemned in a sense by God. Uh, so, so one sense of the aspect is. We only see the sinfulness in ourselves. Right. Um, and we don't realize that there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, there are those who are filled with pride and who are suffering unknowingly because they're suffering under the condemnation. Right. <laughs> because, right. because their own pride does not let them see their sinfulness. Yeah. And so they're, they're in a sense suffering under the wrath of God. Right. So that's, that's the two sides of it. So I think um, that whenever it comes to a Christian, you you brought up uh, that there being no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Really, do you think that the aspect of that, that us truly not trusting what's said in God's word, I mean, that really goes back to our lack of trust in the sufficiency of Scripture. Well, that that is at the root of psychological counseling. Um, what is at the root is, I find a lot of times, is that, in, in my mind, if we are going to use, quote unquote, psychology, uh, if you're going to use psychology, the, the problem is, is the starting point for a Christian mm-hmm. should never be a, a theorist. Right. Um, it, it shouldn't be a theorist or a theory that is outside of Scripture. Right. Uh, we should go to Scripture first. Uh, we should seek answers in the Scripture and trust the answers in Scripture first. However... Um, there are elements of practical uh, exercise that we can find in uh, psycholo- uh, psychological principles that we can we can put to practice. You know, there are techniques that you can find, especially in cognitive behavioral therapy, that are excellent practice. But but I believe that for me, the closest that we can find. Uh, of any psychological um, theory is CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, because the Bible speaks of our mind, right? Um, renewing uh, and, mind. and cha- renewing our mind, changing our mind. We see practical ep- applications um, in teaching, uh, teaching our children. So we, we see practical applications, but we the starting basis for all help uh, first and foremost uh, should come from Scripture, and then how we practice those things in a practical way can be found in some of the psychological uh, practices that, that take place, such as uh, doing homework. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is is taking the scripture, writing the scripture, memorizing the scripture. Um, we, we see that, um, that psychology um, in its source um, is, is, is just not based in, in God. Right. And so we, we want to start with Scripture first always because Scripture is sufficient. But but I think one of the, the problems is, is that oftentimes we try to use Scripture for purposes that it's not meant to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, almost like the health and wealth. We, right. we use verses to try to make us rich. Right. Uh, we use verses to try to, quote unquote, uh, make us physically healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that we, we've got to be careful um, in trying to force scripture onto certain, um, things that, um, may tell us what the problem is, but it may not, scripture may not show us completely how right. to work our way out of it. And so there are techniques that can help us. Right. 
So the the root of the conference is really sanctification through yes. your suffering. Through our suffering. And, and if we, we look at all things are working together for good to those who are who are called and according right. to his purposes and so forth, we take that verse out of Romans, uh, working together for good for those who are called. Um, and so the issue is, is that our sanctification is a process. So part of suffering is a process that we're going through. Um, you know, there are some people, um, and, and thank God it's, it's not me, who suffer continually mm-hmm. uh, with different ailments, whether it be physical. Colleen Sharp, she's going to be talking about uh, that ailment, when the, 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 some of the things in her life that she suffered with physically. And then, you know, uh, dealing with things that are psychological and even spiritual uh, that you suffer with. Um, you know, you know, one of the things that, uh, I think gets put on the people, uh, with, with, uh, with mental illness versus physical illness, we, we, you know, if someone's born blind, we, we don't go like, you know, the Pharisees and go, well, what sin did their mother and so do, right. you know, but with yeah. mental illness, we want to, we want to place immediately there's some sin connected to that right. or even it's demonic yeah. Im- immediately. And we've experienced that kind of firsthand uh, pr- pretty recently uh, with uh, brothers of ours that have been suffering through illness. You know, we look at, at Tyler, who suffered for a long yeah, time. Tyler Hill, who was a, a youth minister friend of mine uh, for, for years. Uh, he recently, uh, I think a year or so ago. Just a little uh, bit more than a year. year. A little bit more than a year ago, he, he died of tumeric cancer and suffered. And, and just God chose not to heal him in this life. But... Hey, through death, he, he certainly did. But yeah. his sanctification process through that is he, he witnessed to so many different doctors. Yeah. and He witnessed uh, to me. Yeah. I, I mean, even, um, you know, I remember seeing him make a Facebook post. Uh, this was before I met him uh, face-to-face. But his post literally said, good news. The doctors have said there's nothing else that they can do for me. Uh, and, and getting to speak with him and actually sit with him. And actually, uh, he actually passed during Hurricane Irma. Whenever it comes through. Right, that's, that's correct. Um, but, you know, we've also had uh, another good friend of ours who just recently passed, uh, Roy, with ALS. And, and I tell you, just talking to those two, I know, I know that they uh, struggled with the suffering. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, as far as the sanctification goes, I mean, just two of the godliest people that you could you could ever speak with that, that was so encouraging despite that suffering. Yes, and, and both of those physical sufferings, um, it's, it's easy for us to... Um, to understand physical suffering, you know, an, an example is it took him about a year to, to finally be diagnosed, diagnosed with ALS. Roy was diagnosed with ALS and then he wasn't, then he didn't have ALS and then he went, finally went to, uh, up to, uh, I believe it was Emory or John yeah. Hopkins and they, they finally told him, says, yes, it's ALS. The bad news is you've had it for a year. So you only got about a year left now. Yeah. And so, um, but it, it, once he found out what it is. And so part of what, uh, my, my lecture uh, will be on is suffering when you don't know what a diagnosis is. Right. You know, one of my best friends, his son um, had a um, some sort of uh, immune autoimmune mm-hmm. issue, and for I forget it was about a year that uh, they had no clue what was wrong with their son. I believe it was about five at that time, and uh, he was uh, severe headaches and um, behavioral issues and. Um, just going through all kind of terrible things and, you know, and he went through everything and it's, you know, he's a pastor. And so at some point, you know, he's thinking his son may even, once you don't know, you're thinking, well, maybe my son's demon possessed. And yeah. so what happens a lot of times is 
we are suffering um, and we have no idea what is going on. Yeah. And and when you don't have a clue what's going on, you're thinking your brain, you know, your it mind, it worse. It, your your mind t- carries you so far mm-hmm. to the to the worst of you know. As I said, am I possessed with a demon? Yeah. You know, so. Um, how, what do you do with, um, what do you do when you don't know what's wrong? And that's, um, that's what I talked about, uh, cause you know, I talked about my testimony last week, how I was saved. And, uh, one of the things I still don't really know and understand is the depression that I was going through because there was no, uh, life event that happened in my life. It was just, I woke up one day and I just no longer felt like the person that I had always felt like, you know, of course, you know, mental illness is a very real thing, but at the root of that. It was very, it was a very, very confusing time for me, uh, because I'm sitting there trying to self-diagnose out of shame. Yeah, um, and, and and we find that all the time in the um, in uh, the mental illness field in in dealing with that. One of the one of my jobs as a as a as an LPC as a counselor is to provide a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. What is um, what is wrong with this person? Why does this person need help? You know, and they may present and you, you, they've given you, um, you know, secular psychologists given us a diagnostic and statistical manual and you have to do that. And most of that's for, uh, insurance purposes, to be quite right. honest. So you can get paid. But, uh, for us, we have to do an evaluation. You know, of course, my specialty is working with those with sexual deviancy. Um, you know, there's only about, you know, 10 or 12 of those or less that I commonly diagnose, but there's all these, uh, other, diagnosis is as well that, um, you know, I don't, I don't deal with. So a lot of times I will send them to an outside counselor, uh, to diagnose and, you know, I'll have the diagnosis come back from anywhere from bipolar to, um, to depression, de- whichever depression you, you want to want to go with to even schizophrenia, uh, to, to other, uh, diagnoses, uh, personality disorders. So you, you have these different diagnoses and, all what that does is a lot of times just goes, Oh, that's what's wrong with me. So it's the same thing. If you, you, you got a stomach issue and you don't know what it is and somebody says, Oh, well, you've got diverticulitis like I had and you go, Oh, okay. So I need to avoid certain things. And if I start feeling a certain way, I need to get on antibiotics immediately. Or you got a lot of experience with that. Yeah. I got a lot of experience. (laughs) I've been blessed. I haven't had it now. I think I'm going on about uh, four months. I'm, I'm, you know, everything blessedly God's been, Staving it off, my mother's getting ready to have surgery on her uh, diverticulitis issues. Once you find out what's wrong with you, it is a big relief, you know, believe it or not. And so I think, you know, that you have the relief and at least knowing. And then there's the second part of it is, is once you know, how do you treat it? Right. And, you know, and the bad part is, is some people with, uh, let's say, um, who've been diagnosed with schizophrenia, um, medication uh, immediately helps. And then there are those that medication, they have to go through several different medications before it helps. And then some, you know, medication just doesn't work. Or you find those who just refuse to take their medication. And so you're, you're, you're constantly dealing with that. Not only does the person with the mental illness suffer, their, their family members are suffering as well. It's like my friend whose son didn't know uh, he didn't know what was wrong with his son. So he's suffering uh, in a different way than his son is. Right. Uh, I can't imagine, you know, I know Tyler's wife and uh, Roy's wife, they're suffering in a different way going through the physical illness. Right. It's the same thing as suffering with those uh, with, with mental illness. 
you have uh, uh, so many different aspects of, of, of suffering that uh, affects so many different realms of your life as well. It's, it, you have someone with mental illness, not only is it going to affect others, but it's going to affect their finances. It's right. going to affect um, relationships. Their, their, their relationships. I mean, there, there's so many different things. Um, and, and we, we forget that it, it's, 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 I, I guess a comor- comorbidity, all, all of the different things that, that is going on. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back in just a minute. Robert here, co-host of Growth Project Radio, and I want to tell you about Grace Alone Witness Apparel. This ministry is dedicated to providing you with biblical apparel and gospel tracks to help start conversations for the gospel. They firmly believe that it is the responsibility of all Christians to be obedient to the command to preach the gospel, and they want to help you to do that in any way that they can. They have many designs that are bold and biblical that are sure to spark conversation for the gospel to the glory of God. They also do custom work as well as bulk orders for all needs from personal to ministry to outreach, they can take care of you. Visit gracealonewa.com for more information. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking around with us. I'm still here with Pastor Frank Mullis of Devil Road Baptist Church, speaking on suffering and the sanctification that comes as a result of that suffering. I kind of want to move it into another direction here. Um, Frank, people typically talk about depression, uh, Usually, generally a pretty big topic, especially among people who are in ministry. It seems that it impacts them a good bit. But from a counselor position, as well as a pastoral position, what exactly is depression? One person has defined depression as a complete absence of effect, feeling, absence of response. Uh, there can be an absence of interest. It is you know the pain that people feel through the course of a major clinical depression is an attempt on nature's part to fill up empty spaces. Uh, as one person said, it's um, deeply depressed or walking dead. You know, over the past 20 years, um, the various studies of depression have suggested there's a connection between cultural change, believe it or not, and incidences of depression. What's interesting is the rate of depression for those after 1950, 20 times higher than those bef- born before 1910. Wow. So that, that was uh, an interesting stat when I was looking through this, uh, getting ready for uh, my sermon. And, and one of the things that kind of uh, spurred on my, my thoughts with this is uh, Dr. Larry Cornine, who's the head of the Department of, of Counseling at uh, Midwestern Baptist Seminary, is that, um, you know, he, he had um, discussed uh, Psalm 42 and 43. And with his permission, I kind of took that and I created a sermon based on mm-hmm. it. And, and he kind of approved me to do the sermon because I told him I was going to steal it from him, but I give him uh, credit for it. And, uh, At least you did that. A lot yeah, of people just yeah I just steal this. But um, I actually preached the sermon and sent it to him and he, he liked it a lot because he, he pretty much had just kind of uh, exegeted the uh, passage for us. And so I took it and turned it into the sermon and I've gone through it a couple of times. And, uh, you know, there are many different theories uh, behind depression. In our uh, 
biological uh, psychology class that I took under him, um, he went through all of these and we kind of discussed them. And and I'll tell you, um, over the years, I've had trouble with biology. That's why I went into psychology. Um, But he really broke it down and helped us understand the, the brain. The brain is affected by depression. You know, it seems that there is a biological depression and then a spiritual depression that I'll, I'll talk about in, in a few minutes. But there's different theories. Now, now, first and foremost, and this is where nuthetic or biblical counselors have a problem with, with secular psychology and even Christian psychology, is that it's very difficult to measure the chemicals in the brain. Right. We, we know they're there. I mean, we know they're there. Right. The, the, there are chemicals, and, and there seems to be highs and lows in those chemicals because... Certain drugs will will affect the chemicals in the brain, but they they don't know exactly what that is. You know, drug use we 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 can see it very much when people use drugs and how that affects levels of dopamine and things like that. Um, one of the first theories that uh, behind de- depression and and these are are basically chemical theories. The monomane hypothesis of depression basically says that. Um, symptoms of depressions are malfunctions in the neurotransmitters, serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Mm-hmm. So certain medications are going to affect those uh, different neurotransmitters. And basically, they argue that they're malfunctioning. So they're, it's basically just like a, a, a reaction to a medication just on a psychological level. Right. And, you know, and, and some, you know, some is, well, there's a de- decrease in the release in the synapse or excessive reuptake. And then if you've seen those commercials about MAO inhibitors, you may have an excessive MAO or um, a receptor abnormality. And then we move in. Well, and and what's important to understand is certain medications are used by doctors who subscribe to that theory. And so if you follow the other one, you have norepinephrine, um, serotonin hypothesis, which is associated basically um, as the ability to, to maintain uh, concentrated attention over prolonged periods of time. So chronic threatening situations, uh, which increase firings of the uh, locus corylius. And so that is a totally different one uh, aspect of the brain as in the other one. So you've got uh, the monomane hypothesis, you got the norepinephrine, serotonin, and then you have a totally different idea as the diathesis model of depression, which has a uh, more of a genetic predisposition. And basically, some people have lower monomane uh, levels. And so, in other words, some people just get depressed more than other people. Right. And you, you found that true, maybe even within yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we look back to even great preachers of the past, such as Martin Luther, uh, Spurgeon, we, we know had those issues. Talked about Spurgeon on the last episode. Yeah. Actually. And so some people are just more, more prone to depression due to their physical makeup. Um, and that's called endogenous depression. Basically, you know, a person's physiology and everyone's depressions can vary from person to person. I don't tend to be a very depressed person. I tend to be more manic. Right. <laughs> a lot of times. I and, agree. And, and that's my AD, <laughs> you know, that's my ADD, you know, that, that, that's, uh, you know, my attention deficit issues. Uh, I have more of that side than I do depression issues. But, uh, what, a, what, a, what I'll find is I can be depressed and not even know it. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what's interesting because I tend to be at a lower level. I have an elevated level of depression, but yeah. for me, it's depression. Right. Um, and then uh, we have uh, exogenous depression, which basically I is what I experience. 
Um, and that's more of stress and exhaustion. That's more of the type of depression that, that I experience. Um, and I'll find myself kind of overwhelmed. Right. Um, and, and I tend to express it differently than a person, uh, who's experiencing more of an in, endogenous depression where they may be quiet or kind of state of themselves. Whereas me, um, I'm going to be, um, more agitated, maybe more angry at times. Right. Um, and I'm assuming that there can be a mixture. Of yeah. There, there's obviously is. And everybody kind of experiences it a little different, but I tell you the most popular theory of depression today is the biochemical hypothesis. And that depression is a consequence of serotonin deficiencies in the brain. That, that's basically it. And look, I'm not any medication. And, and that's where, um, I had problems with the early proponents of, uh, nuthetic counseling is that they were very anti-medication. They wanted to say that all depression that was medical was physical. Uh-huh. There, there, there was a, a physical component, not a brain chemical component. The problem I had is most of the time they wanted to, and look, um, this is my opinion. I'm not saying this to be all, but I would find that most of the time, a lot of people in, in the biblical counseling realm want to place all depression as sinful. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, um, I, I had a, I had a problem with. Medication simply essential. If you have a person who is suicidal, a person is even homicidal, right? You can have people who are, who are looking to not only kill others, but kill themselves at the same time because right. They blame their depression on someone else. It could be very easily go that way. And so what it can happen is that that medication can help the person move out of depression faster. And so that, that's when, um, I think medication and I'm going to make an argument that over prescription of medications is a huge problem in the United States. Psychologists, psychiatrists, and even myself, you know, I recommend medication. Look, one of the things I, I will, I will say is I work with a lot of people who are dangerously mentally ill, mm-hmm. um, who harm children, who harm adults, who harm yeah. themselves. And so we want those type of people to be medicated um, as fast as we can get them because right. if not, they're going to harm others or harm themselves. And so, um, but the average house mom, you know, who's suffering the blues goes to, goes to the doctor and they immediately without, without question are putting her on some right. sort of medication. Right. And it's going to alter her mood. And uh, a lot of times um, that mood alterization can cause a lot of ripples throughout the entire house um, that, that can be very problematic. And so I, I find that it's overprescribed and it only works about half the time. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, 20 to 30 percent of cases, placebos actually make the person better. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, um, and so again, just be careful and get, you know, several, talk to several people, uh, a good biblical counselor along with, with a, with a good medical doctor, uh, that you trust and, and talk about, uh, medications with them and, and talk about the side effects. There have been, uh, one of the biggest things, um, attributed to depression medications was, uh, everybody was arguing an increase in suicide. Uh, and, and well, the person went on the medication and suddenly they committed suicide. So the medication is making people, uh, commit suicide. Correlation and causality is not the same. Right. And, and that's what a, a, a lot of people immediately say. If, you know, A happens and B happens, then C must be true. Right. Right. And, and you can have two things that occur at the same time that have nothing to do with one another. So, uh, again, 
one of the one of the issues with with uh, they found out with medication with depression medication is is that as a person gets depressed, their um, behavior is going to become more withdrawn. So as they drop in deeper depression, they're going to pass a level in which suicidal ideations come up, then where they would actually commit suicide, and then they become too depressed to do anything. So what happens is, as they enter that dark state of depression, they start taking medication. What begins to happen is the medication makes them feel well enough to start thinking about suicide and commit suicide before they pass to a level where they're no longer having suicidal ideations. And that's what is more true about medication is that it's making the person better, but it also makes them well enough to want to kill themselves. So, and and that's why I offer, you know, um, great caution before going on any medications. Some medications actually can interact with other medications, you know, alcohol and other things. Can, can, can affect your, um, your medication. The medications that, um, can have interactions and alcohol, alcohol is actually a depressant, you know, as well. So yeah. if you're depressed and you begin to drink, your depression is not going to get better. Right. Yeah. I, I can attest to that. <laughs> and so, uh, it gets worse. Especially <laughs> if you're taking, uh, uh, downers along with it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you've just got to be careful, uh, with that. So, Many people that um, are depressed, believe it or not, they can develop a depressive identity. Mm-hmm. And so they are, they themselves identify as depressed. I, I call them Eeyore. Yeah, from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> so is, 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 it, is it kind of like people uh, identifying as depressed, like people that are identifying as being female despite being uh, male? Well it, it, well, it could be. I mean, look, if you're... you're you know, if you're Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh, you can't be Tigger, can you? No. <laughs> um, and that, that's how you identify and people get to know you and people reinforce it. Well, that's just how he is. Yeah. You know, he's always like that. He's just a sad sack. You know, he, yeah. that, you know, he, he never wants to do anything. He just stays to himself and that's who he begins to be. And they lead this life of depression. They want to get rid of the depression, but. They give up, you know, this, um, they're, they're giving up part of who they are. To an example, many people, um, depressed people say they want to get well, but they reject every way out. Right. And that is a huge problem is that if anger is the way that I express my depression, but anger is also the way I get my way, I'm not going to give it up. Right. So you kind of hate it, but you kind of love it at yeah. the same time. They they may want to get rid of their depression, but they find it gives them attention or some sort of influence. Right. Think of several famous poets, you know, think of famous writers, even actors that kind of, you know, they're, they're known for their depression and uh, to give that up. They may not be that great of an actor anymore, right. or great of a poet and so forth and so on. It's like those who are even addicted to drugs. Well, I, I can't play the guitar without my drugs. Right. Um, that sort of mentality. Depression uh, can be a strategy to avoid. Hey, I'm depressed. I can't work. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm depressed. I, I can't, um, you know, deal with complicated relationships. You know, if you're really depressed, I can't really confess my sin to you. Right. Right. Um, so depression. That's a big one for a believer. Yeah. Depression is a crutch. You know, for many people, um, it's not for everyone. I'm just saying this can be, you know, these are all theories and these are possible reasons that people um, hold on to depression a lot of times or 
um, refuse to get help for their depression. You know, and, and again, um, it's unbelievable as my sound. Some people prefer depression over dealing with people. I understand why people can <clears throat> suck sometimes. I'll tell you one of the one of the scariest things is that depression is far more familiar than is healthiness, and they know how to deal with it than deal with not being depressed. Right. You know, facing life and life stressors, it's easier to sit in your room and just watch TV. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, so I know I mentioned um, spiritual depression, and spiritual depression is different from psychological depression. Um, and physical depression can be connected to the other two. So it's possible, you know, that physical depression cannot be spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. But spiritual depression cannot be physical, right? But the two can be connected and there can be both, right? So um, it's like one pastor said, I'm spiritually oppressed and I can think of God angry near me or not and feel the self-imposition of a condemnation I impute to God and the deepening darkness. In other words, I'm spiritually depressed and, and I blame God. Right. So how, how can somebody tell the difference between a biological depression and a spiritual depression? How do you, how can you differentiate that? Because um, obviously there's going to be uh, perhaps a different treatment method for something that's biological as opposed to something that's spiritual. Or like you said, they kind of, uh, they kind of go hand in hand sometimes. Well, the issue is, I think with spiritual depression, um, none of the physical medications are going to help. Right. There, uh, the any of the secular techniques are not going to work. Right. And they don't make a pill for spiritual depression. Yeah. Yeah. It, not, um, you know, the, the spiritual depression is is those things. The things are of God are God, and the things of man are man. And so this is a thing of God, and it is a is definitely a, an issue of relationship with you. And so one of the things is, um, if you're a Christian and you're going through spiritual depression, I, I want, want to say this, is you feel afar from God, but God's not far. Right. <laughs> right. It's actually within you. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're feeling God's transcendence, and really, you know, his eminence is, right. is extremely close. How about this? Uh, here's a formula that um, one of the um, counselors gave. Spiritual problems plus time plus a biological ability to experience depression equals depression. Um, so if you have spiritual problems over time and your body, you're the type of person who's depressed, um, you're eventually going to experience probably both times. Right. Ed Welch, who is considered to be one of the best Christian counselors out there today, a lot of great books uh, that he's written. He's written a lot on depression. And, you know, he, he speaks on it. And if you get a chance to, if you go to one of your Christian bookstores or you go to Amazon, you look up Ed Welch. If you want to find some good books on depression, if Ed Welch wrote it, that's the guy uh, you want to you want to read on depression. You know, one of the things is there's basically two two types of mechanics in, in my opinion. There's a type of mechanic who enjoys going into a, a car. He likes tearing apart the engine. He likes breaking it apart. He likes figuring out what's wrong with it and putting it back together. Uh, then there's the other type of mechanic goes, eh, let's just take the old engine out and put in a new one. Yeah. Right. And you know, you'll find basically there's two types of counselors. You have some counselors who want to spend a whole lot of time going through your depression and why you're depressed and all these other things and then and, and help you uh, to learn how to put it back together. Or you can just say, 
hey, I don't care why I'm depressed. I just want to stop being depressed. Yeah. And I give you, you know, give you things to help you stop being depressed. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with, with both types of counseling. Uh, I just like uh, a person to get better faster. Right. Right. And so, you know, what, what can you do? The Apostle Paul speaks directly to spiritual depression. If you go to Second Corinthians 4, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but do, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body, the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Basically, he's saying, look, there's limits of depression that we can experience. It's profound, but not permanent, nor is it fatal. Yeah, and, and that kind of ties in a little bit um, also with, with other areas and letters to the churches in Corinth where Paul is uh, speaking <clears throat> of light momentary afflictions, but that we should fix our eyes not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So it seems seems that he kind of correlates that to a uh, looking towards God instead of rather the light momentary affliction, which in the path of obedience would be your reward in heaven would be greater. Yeah. And and I mean, if you think about, let's say, depression, if we we speak of Justin Peters for a moment, who has cerebral palsy and he's had it, you know, his whole life and and he's dealt with it. If, if, If cerebral palsy is the cause of Justin's depression, Justin would be always depressed. Right. Because cerebral palsy is not going away. Right. It's always present. Right. So it's always present. So if you have something in your life that is causing you to always be depressed, then you need to look at what God has given you in that and to say, you know, this is the way it is. You have to learn to deal with it and say, look, this is what God has given me. There's a reason and a purpose for this. And then you have to work through it to understand and accept that that is part of who you are and that God has created you to be a person with this particular uh, disability right. and uh, and to overcome it. Uh, Joni Erickson Tata is another one who, um, you know, she, she was in a diving accident, broke her neck, and uh, she's used that for the glory of God. Right. Um, you know, so there, there are so many people out there who are suffering from long-term conditions, who have been able to uh, overcome and have used their their suffering for the glory of God and for their own sanctification. You know, then there are some things that are just temporary, you know, or, or some things that are sudden, you know, the loss of a loved one. Right. You know, you, you are going to deal with those grief problems. And, well, you should. If you don't, there might be another yeah, type of problem. Bigger problem. Bigger problem. So there, there are certain things that we're going to go through. But, you know, Paul promises us through Christ Jesus that um, that we are going to get through it. Right. And, and, and the biggest thing is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is what helps us through times, times of suffering. Uh, another thing that Paul writes in Philippians, and there's a debate uh, with this, and it's one that we went through in one of my doctoral classes is be anxious for nothing. Right. Is that a command? You know, is it an admonition? Right. You know, or is it just a statement to say, hey, don't worry, be happy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, I, I ended up believing that the, that what Paul is saying is, why worry? Yeah. God's got it. Yeah. You know, um, because look, yeah. if it's a sin to worry, right, mm-hmm. it, it's, it becomes very problematic because we worry. Oh, all the time. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I think that some sin, some, some sins, you know, worry is a sin at times, mm-hmm. right? But, but in, in, a, in another sense is that, if we if if worry is a sin and we worry, then we've added to our worry because we're sinning. Right. You know. So now, if we take it and say, "Hey, look, 
Yeah, you're worried, so what? You know, isn't that what Jesus said about, you know, not your hair, but, you know, people on, you know, hair on your head. Can you count them? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, he knows the hair on your head. He, look, if there's something as insignificant as a bird that God knows about, right. you know, that's the point. It's not that God cares about birds. And, you know, again, he possibly you know, may be part of the meaning of that. But look, what are you in comparison to a bird? Right. Well, you we're know? made in the image of God. Yeah, that goes back to not understanding who we are. Right. From what I was talking about in, in my lecture is not knowing that we are created with dignity and respect. We, we deserve respect in, in that, in the sense of because we are creating the image of God. Right. And Anthony Sylvester will be happy because that goes back to Genesis. It, it, does, go, it, it does go back to that. <laughs> um, and so understanding that God will give us peace and he calms our spirit. And how do we know that? That goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. One of the reasons I believe so many times that we as Christians worry or have anxiety or experience depression is that we have not hidden the word in our hearts, Right. that we have not memorized scripture. And if you go to what, uh, when Jesus was at his lowest human terms in, in the desert, right. Satan attacked him when he was hungry, when he was thirsty and all of these things, and he's at his lowest as a human physically, each time he came back with scripture. Yeah. And I I think too, that if you look at it, whenever we are going through those moments of of weakness, moments of suffering, is that we really have a tendency to look at what we desire our will to be or what we desire for the will of God to be. But I think if you look to instances of Jesus' suffering, like in the Garden of Gethsemane, is that he made it clear, uh, basically, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but your will. And that seems to be something that, that kind of lacks, is that, is that you know, maybe, maybe it might be God's will for us to be going through these afflictions. Sometimes maybe it is. One of the things that I, I've really taken to heart, and this was my one of my Sunday school teacher life verses, and it may well be one of the reasons that I went into psychology. It is a verse that is connected greatly to cognitive behavioral therapy. And, and it is the verse in Philippians 4.8 uh, that really deals with our thoughts. And if we take this verse, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, we think about these things. And you think about this is if when we start feeling symptoms of depression, if we counter it with thinking about the truth of God and his word. We start thinking about the, the goodness of God, the, the rightness of God, the purity of God, the loveliness of God, the excellency and the admirability of God. We start focusing on God. It takes away the focus from ourselves, Right. Because most depression, you know, most depression that is not, not physical, that's not being brain caused, that is a spiritual cause or there's some circumstantial cause from it is because now we're doing the poor me thing a lot of times. Right. And when we, we start being introspective and a lot of times it's a pride issue in that it's our pride. Things aren't going my way, God. Where are you, God? You're supposed to. And, and David, one of the things you in the Psalms is God, where are you? Yeah. You told me you were going to be here, God. You're not here. Yeah. God, all these enemies are around me. Where, where you at? And this is a man made after uh, God's own heart. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, this, this is, this is David, you know, arguing with God. Yeah. And, and God seems to, God seems to like it to a certain degree. <laughs> I mean, I, I it, it's in that he is challenging God to prove he's God. Right. 
and and doesn't you know and he's not tempting. I'm not saying tempting God, right? But but the, God's a try me, test me, prove me. Yeah. And he's saying, okay, God, you said this. Let's see you. And and that and that seems what we see some of the times in the Psalms that you'll find when David's arguing these things. God turns around and goes, boom, here I am. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think that's what's important is if we change the way we think. And, and of course, look, that's the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's part of that. And I'm not saying that in, in a secular way. I'm saying that there is a, a sense and part of sanctification that we corporately are working with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working within us. Right. And um, there is a sense where we are have the ability to now, because we're regenerated, that it te- it says renew our minds daily. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't say let the Holy Spirit renew your mind. Renew your it, mind. It, it's saying renew your mind. Uh, as soon as I finish up with my doctorate, I'm going to be starting on a book. Um, I haven't. I've been going through various uh, topics with the book, but it's, it's something along the lines of God doesn't care how you feel, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and in it is it's going to talk about the importance of changing the way you think because God seems throughout scripture to care how you think more so than how you feel. Right. And by, and by doing so, the way we think um, changes the way we feel. Right. And so you will find yourself, if so you're, what you're saying is that a lot of times and what consumes your mind is typically what's leading to the depression right. is change is the feeling. So if you change the way you think, it definitely changes how you feel. And if you're feeling depressed, you need to reevaluate what are the things you've been thinking on? What are the things you've been consuming? Right. Now, moving into kind of a evangelistic type approach to this. Um, so for, I noticed whenever, um, uh, whenever I was going through my depression way back when, and I messaged you that night is that I, I was actually seeking what, what seemed like kind of a, kind of a guarantee uh, of eternity in a way. Uh, to where am I going to go to heaven, heaven or hell? And you didn't really approach it from, uh, from giving a direct answer, uh, such as like eternal security. That probably wasn't the best, best thing to do at that point in time. But how do you for, cause there, I think there's two aspects to this. You have believers, you have non-believers. Right. For a non-believer who is approaching you with these sort of, uh, issues, issues of depression, uh, thoughts of suicide, um, events that have happened in their life, they're suffering. How do you evangelize to that person while while being able to relay the gospel, but also from a counseling aspect? Okay, so um, I'll start off with, for for that, I'll start off with, okay, so what does a Christian do? And then we'll, we'll do that. Okay. okay we'll so, you know, one of the things that, um, if, if you're a Christian and you're depressed, one of the things that you really want to uh, look at is you want to start to to very much look at an introspection is to first introspect, but then you want to move away from introspection and move toward an invocation of God is take yourself away from who, what is your circumstance and look your who God is right? and how God can help you. You know, learning to live by faith and not by your circumstances. Right. One of the reasons that people are depressed that I have found is that number one is that they believe their circumstances dictate who they are. Right. You know, and, and, and Paul said, in all things be what? Content. Correct. No matter what lot I have in life, whether he was in jail, whether he was shipwrecked, whatever was going on with him, he was content because he was in Christ Jesus. Right. And that was kind of at the root of what he said. Yeah. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens Exactly right. And then another thing is, look, 
The biblical counselors do have some things right because some Christians are depressed because they're stuck in sin and it hasn't been confessed. You know, there's a lot of Christians with sexual sins, with monetary sins, with marital sins or whatever it may be, anger issues that they don't want to deal with. And so that's part of the reason they're depressed because the Holy Spirit is convicting them. And then, look, part of it is, you know, if you don't like your circumstances as a Christian, seek to change them. So, but if you can't change them, then you definitely need to change your attitudes. Here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, simply feeling better is not going to change your eternal destination. Um, Medication is not going to change your your eternal uh, destination. Finding a good counselor, even Ed Welsh, you know, if they do not share the good news and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, your depression is, is not going to change your eternal destiny one way or the other. And I'll be honest, your depression may be the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin right. and showing you that there is a greater redeemer, you know, um, that can come in and that can change your life and change your circumstances of, of who you are. Right. Well, that's ultimately the, the, the greatest need, even, even from that, uh, that suffering depression standpoint is that the greatest needs, not necessarily anything physical in nature, uh, anything material in nature, the greatest need is something spiritual. And that's, uh, that's actually having the heart change from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, which can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So Frank, in kind of closing, uh, I want to go back to this, uh, conference that you guys for Strum for Eternity Ministries will be hosting in New Jersey. Can you tell us a little bit more information on that? Uh, when it is, where it's going to be hosted, uh, some of the speakers and just kind of run through that real quick. Yes. Yeah, the sanctification through suffering, aka SufferCon is basically a conference on how you can deal with your struggles and help you learn how to re-examine it through the eyes of sanctification. And so it's going to be Friday, March 15th and Saturday, March 16th. And it's located at the Chinese American Bible Church in Freehold, New Jersey. Uh, you can get more information at strivingforeternity.org slash conference dash on dash suffering. The calls for the conference, uh, which covers uh, for the speakers there, is $40. Um, the keynote speakers are Justin Peters and myself. Joe Suzo, who is a pastor of Andrew's Church, is going to be doing a breakout session. And Colleen Sharp of Theology Gals is going to do a breakout session with the women. And so Justin and I will be uh, speaking uh, Friday night and um, and then Saturday uh, morning. And then we're going to have a, a Q&A session and, and even, you know, um, spend time with people, helping them with uh, some of the issues that may come out at the conference. Right. And we, we are just so excited. Um, we have had people ask us to actually take this conference to other places around the country. If you or your church would like uh, us to uh, come out and maybe do this uh, conference on suffering, uh, at your church, uh, get, get in touch with us, uh, there at strivingforeternity.org. And, uh, I just thank you for your time, uh, James. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been great. Hopefully we can do this a lot more. We're going to, uh, end this by closing is that obviously suffering, depression, thoughts of suicide, that is, it's not anything that should be taken lightly by anyone. Um, I think Frank attests to that. Even in his line of work, he sees it quite frequently. But I also think that we need to realize that as believers is that we have a command to go out into this world to those who are suffering, even believers or non-believers, and point them to the light that is in Christ Jesus and the the healing, the spiritual healing uh, that is found only in Christ Jesus uh, through his life, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, and that it's ultimately 
mercy and grace alone through the Holy Spirit, bringing us and raising us to spiritual life in Christ, that we are able to testify of that light. Frank, thank you for being on with us again. Yeah, hopefully, thank you for we can, me. hopefully, this is something we can do a little bit more often. You only live like 15 minutes away. Yeah. But again, this has been the 5S Podcast. Uh, we will see you all next week. Hopefully, we'll have more special guests uh, in the near future. And as always, may everything that you do be done to the glory of God.